We're going to look at Matthew 1, 1 through 17. It's great to have you here. Let's dive in this together. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Those of you who are looking to have children, here are some potential names for you. Amminadab begat Nashan, and Nashan begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Oman, or Amon. And Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltiel, and Shiltiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiad, and Abiad begot Elohim, and Elohim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Elud, and Elud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Matan, and Matan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations for Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. And I'd like to preach to you today the way in a manger. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it, Lord. Encourage us, bring hope today, God. We give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The genealogies. On the surface, they are some of the most boring parts, can I say it, of the Bible. We struggle to stay awake in them. But when we dig deeper, they're filled with tremendous insight. These are just people like us. Valerie, in her reading, has been digging into some of these genealogies. And what I'm about to share with you comes from some discussions that we had and some things that she saw. And so it's fascinating when you dive into this. This reading of ours is a synopsis, kind of a telescopic view of the generations. It speaks of fathers and grandfathers, forefathers, if you will, forefathers of, of, of the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. And three of these forefathers are highlighted for our sermon today. Jeconias, Selethiel, and Zerubbabel. And again, if you're looking for a, ch a child's name, you're looking to have kids, here's three potentials right here. Jeconias, let's look at them. 
Jeconias means Jehovah has established. Everybody say established. Jehovah has established. Jeconias assumed the throne that we know from 1 Chronicles 17 was to be forever established, forever filled by a descendant of David. And Jeconias was one of those descendants, and he assumed this throne that was forever established. Jeconias, you could say, was part of the establishment. He came in to power. It was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. Jeconias assumes the throne, and like President-elect Trump, he began assembling his team, Team Jeconias. And he would have them come to Jeconias Tower in Manhattan, in the middle of Ju- Judah, in Jerusalem. And he was filling his cabinet, you know, like the celebrity apprentice. He's choosing a secretary of state, and a secretary of defense. He's, he's picking these, these, these cabinet members. He was all about making Judah great again, right? I don't know what his hair looked like. We hope it looked differently than Donald Trump's, but... He assumes the throne, and, and, and it's forever established, and his name means established, and, and he's part of the establishment. And three months into his reign, three months, 90 days into his reign, Babylon invaded Judah, overthrew it, destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and destroyed Solomon's temple in the middle of Jerusalem. And it all took place on Jeconias' watch. And to think that his very name meant established. Established of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Now there's some history here. We don't have time to dive into all of it, but there is some history here. He was raised in and around church, you could say. The people of God. He has a Bible name. The Lord has established He assumes a legendary throne, the throne of David, but it did not mean that he was above the consequences of his own choices. 2 Kings 24 says that he was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeconias thought he could do whatever he wanted. I mean, he's the king, and he was 18 years old, right? At 18 years old, he's arrogant, he's cocky, he assumes the throne. He thinks he can do anything he wants to do and live any way he wants to live and get away with it. But after only 90 days, he found himself in a strange land among strange people with strange customs and strange gods. It it had to be confusing. And Babylon, the name Babylon means confusion. Jeconias had no power to change his situation. He couldn't do anything about it. He was stuck. It had to be absolutely devastating to go from the king of Judah to being just a slave in captivity, just like that. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied during this time. He prophesies about Jeconias. Theologians call it the curse of Jeconias. It's found in Jeremiah 22. Paul Enns of the Moody Institute points out 
First, the Lord likens Jeconias to a signet ring, the ring on a king's finger where he would authorize thing, things. Jeconias is, is likened to a signet ring on God's hand, a ring that God pulls off and then God pronounces a curse. It goes like this, record this man, Jeconias, as if childless, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime. For none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. That's a curse. That sounds pretty bad. Jehovah's got a grudge against him. But then later Jeremiah prophesied to all of Judah who was in Babylon. He basically said this. Hey y'all. We're in this for a long time. Settle in for the long haul. Go ahead and start a family. You know the verses probably, Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11 says this, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You've probably heard those verses before. So Jeconias, understanding that his kids would be born in Babylon if he had any, they would never be kings, and this 18-year-old deposed ruler of Judah decided, I'm just going to settle in, I'm going to do what the prophet said, I'm going to start a family, I'm going to understand that we're going to be in Babylon, my kids will not sit on the throne. So he just settles in and starts a family. We're going somewhere, are you with me? Everybody with me? You with me? So he settles in, he starts a family in Babylon, and... From the record, you would have to, you, you can see where he, he has a child and names his son. You can see it in the genealogies. He names his son Salathiel. Salathiel. We almost named Alexander Salathiel. But he has Salathiel. And what does it mean? The, the word means, and names meant something in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, and you can get so much out of it by looking at the meaning of the names. Salathiel means, I have asked God. Now, what do you suppose Jeconias had asked God? Well, I would say, first of all, he's been humbled. And he's probably asking for forgiveness. As a matter of fact, you can see it in the text. He was asking for forgiveness. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in 90 days, he lost everything. And he said, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I would think that he's also asking for restoration. Would you please restore your people? Would you please take us out of this land? Would you please give us another temple? Give us one more chance. He names his kids Salathiel. I have asked God for forgiveness, for restoration. He had a word from the Lord through Jeremiah that God had thoughts of peace and not evil toward him to give him a hope in a future he had done evil in the sight of the lord and yet the thoughts of god toward him were not of evil it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance it's not the fact that he can send us to hell it's the fact that he's open to love us and forgive us and welcome us home, right? 
And so he understands from Jeremiah, he's not trying to pay me back with evil. He has thoughts of good towards me. And so he turns back to the Lord and, and positions himself through repentance to receive this kindness and this future and this hope. And he stands in faith on the sure word of God that after 70 years, he's going to take us back to the place that we are supposed to be in. And he's asking the Lord, Salathiel, I have asked the Lord, forgive me, restore your people, O God. And so as time marches on, Salathiel understands, I'll never be a king. I understand why. I, I, I know the story. But like my father before me and like my grandfather and, and, and like, uh, well, like my father before me and like my brothers and my peers, this world is not my home. I am in Babylon, but I'm only here for a specified period of time on the scale of things. It's a short period of time. I might as well go ahead and start a family too. So Salathiel got married and had a son and named his son Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel means born in Babylon. He was born in Babylon. This is a kid of Babel, born in a place of confusion. But Zerubbabel caught the vision of his forefathers. And he said, this place, this, this place of Babylon is not my home. And here's where it gets very interesting to me. Jeconias, who was an 18-year-old, backslidden king of Judah, whom God cursed through Jeremiah, but who repented and turned back to God. While suffering the consequences for his sin, he has a son, Salathiel, I have asked the Lord, and a grandson, Zerubbabel, born in Babylon. And this grandson, Zerubbabel, lived in the 70th year of which Jeremiah prophesied. And Zerubbabel lived to see the prayers and, and, uh, of his grandfather and Jeremiah's prophecy fulfilled. Zerubbabel led the people of Judah back to Jerusalem and became not a king, but he did become the governor of Judah and oversaw the rebuilding of the city and the walls and the temple with Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah's help, and that temple became known as Zerubbabel's temple. And Zerubbabel's temple was later remodeled by a guy named Herod that we saw today. And Herod's temple, which was really an extension of Zerubbabel's temple, was the temple in which Jesus ministered and preached. And Haggai 2.4 says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And although Zerubbabel's temple didn't have an Ark of the Covenant, Jesus Christ ministered. He was the Ark of the Covenant. And he ministered in Zerubbabel's temple. And as a result, this latter house was greater than the glorious temple that Solomon had built. Jesus comes through the lineage of Abraham. We have all these generations listed. And right in the middle of it all, right in the middle of the generations, 
One young man, one young man, Jeconias, fell off the wagon and got all off track. And it looked like these consequences would be so confusing and devastating that they could never recover. That there was no way out. This is my message for you today. Let's bring it home. Maybe some of you in this house, like Jeconias, you've made some mistakes. Maybe your life got off track. Maybe a little off track. Maybe a lot off track. It gets really quiet when we start bringing it home sometimes, right? Nobody's gotten off track in this room, huh? <laughs> Some of us have derailed in very big ways. And we've suffered the consequences, confusion, devastation, disappointment, not living the life that we imagine, struggling, trying to make sense of it all. And we wondered, is there a way out? Is there a way? What is the way out? I'm going to tell you today, the way is in a manger. Jesus is the way. He's still the way. Didn't he say that of himself? I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm telling you like Jeconias, the prophet Jeremiah's words ring out to us today. I have plans for you. Plans that are thoughts for you. Not, not thoughts of evil. But I've got thoughts of peace, and I've got thoughts of forgiveness, and I've got thoughts of a future, and I've got thoughts of a hope for you. I can make a way where there seems to be no way. Give him praise. Can you do it? Hallelujah. <laughs> it's, if we will just turn back to him. There is a way. The way is in a manger. The blood that flowed through the veins of that little baby in a manger would be the very blood that would cover and cleanse the sins of Jeconias, who had the curse of God on him, the curse of Jeremiah, the curse of Jeconias. Nobody from your family is going to sit on that throne. You're going to be in exile. I'm sending you away. But oh, the thoughts when he turns back to God. Those thoughts are of peace and a hope. I'll forgive you. And I will have a son that will sit on the throne of his father, David. Jesus the Christ. And that blood, that blood will cover you, Jeconias. And that same blood will cover us. I just want to tell you, there is always a way. No one's ever gone too far. I grew up in church, man, we were terrified of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. Pentecostal churches, you really are afraid to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Because everybody talks about the Holy Ghost all the time, right? And so, Holy Ghost, man, I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. What is blaspheming the Holy Ghost? You know, that was a big question back in the, have I blasphemed the Holy Ghost? You know, that was my question. Did, did I blaspheme the Holy Ghost? And we, I've crossed a line somewhere. I blasphemed the Holy Ghost. And I, we were always worried about that. What, what does that mean? And, and, and we would try to figure out what it meant to be reprobate. Because that was another thing we'd get off on. You know, like, 
Well, he's reprobate. Ain't no coming back for him. He's reprobate. So I, my, when, I, when I fell off the wagon, I think to myself, because I grew up amongst this, I'm like, am I reprobate? Can you like, am I reprobate? Am I, ain't no coming back for me. Like, I'm reprobate. I'm off the, I'm off, uh, you know, I, I fell so far. And I always debate, am I the only one that's ever done that? Like, maybe I'm a weird kid. I grew up in church, so, and, and I would just, I would wonder, if I go too far, have I, have I crossed a line? Because I crossed a lot of lines. And, and if anybody would have not had a chance, you would think it would be me. If you knew my story, if you knew like I knew me, you, you would understand. But, but I was, I, I wondered, did I cross a line? I was talking to somebody today about a, a fellow musician. This week, I was talking to somebody, and they, they were raised in church, they were a good kid, but they're living in Nashville, and they think they're a rock star, and they're playing drums for a big-time act that's going all over the country, been on television, all over the place, and, and, and somebody came to that kid, and they said, you know, you ought to come back, and he said, this kid said, I would love to come back. I wish I would have never walked away from God, but I think I've gone too far. Somebody was telling me this story today, and I thought to myself, and I want to tell that kid, no, you've not gone too far, because I know a God who has thoughts that are not evil towards us, thoughts of peace and love and forgiveness. He wants to give us a hope and a future. You've never gone too far. You've never gone too far. If you're even asking yourself, have I gone too far? It's an indication that you've not gone too far. I know a God who is full of grace and forgiveness. And that blood will never lose its power. Amen. Will never lose its power. The way is in the manger. There is a way. There is a way. And the way is in the manger. Jesus is still the way. Why don't you stand with me right now? Hallelujah. Can you just lift your hands to him? Close your eyes and lift your hands to him and thank him for his love and his mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, when I thought I had gone too far, you stepped in and said, no. My love goes further still. When I thought I walked away from your touch, you reached down and touched me. When I thought you couldn't hear me, you said, my, my ear is not, it's not heavy that it, it cannot hear. And when I thought I'd walked away too far, you said, my arm is not short that I cannot reach further still. You always went further, God, than I could walk away. And God, there's people in this room today that have made dramatic mistakes. It could be written of them, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And she did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they reaped what they sowed. They woken up in a strange place, in a strange land full of confusion. This is not the life I imagined for myself. And God, you sent me here today as a preacher of the gospel to remind them there is a way. The way is in the manger. The story of Jesus is the way back. It's the way home. It's just positioning ourselves to receive. Like Jeconias of old. Just repositioning. Oh, I was a fool at 18. I walked away from everything. I lost so much. But then at 20 and 25 and 35, it was a turning and a repositioning. And a saying, get my life straight.
and he affected generations. His kids, his grandkids, they would never be the same. 